This is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Jean-Claude Piris. Jean-Claude Piris was head of the EU Council Legal Service for over 22 years and had a leading role in drafting all of the treaties from Maastricht to Lisbon. Jean-Claude, I'd like to start with the, at the very beginning and ask you, why on earth do we have an Article 50, this withdrawal uh, process at all in the Lisbon Treaty? The, the EU existed for over 60 years without this provision for a member state to withdraw. So why do we have it now? Good morning, Paul. Nice to be here with you. Uh, yes, that was a, there was dispute between lawyers, uh, uh, as always, and some people thought that uh, these treaties were uh, signed for eternity, for they, they had an unlimited uh, duration, so it was unthinkable that one country could uh, go out of this. But others said, and I was among them, well, if a member state wants to leave, they are not comfortable in any way, they will leave anyway. So after all this, and we had this occasion where it was a big treaty, the big constitution, so disant, uh, between brackets, to be settled, we had to be set to settle this thing, and there was a discussion about that. And in the, the convention, which prepared the constitution, they drafted this article uh, as it is now saying that we will save uh, thousands and thousands of trials and tribunals between individuals, operators, economic operators, states, and so on, on ongoing procedures. So it's much better to have it. The significance of it also on the political side, not on the legal side, was that it demonstrates very clearly that the European Union is more on the side of being an international organization than on the side to being a uh, uh, confederal or federal state in formation. Okay, so now we have a situation where the UK has to deal with this Brexit vote and okay, once we have a new Prime Minister, which will not be known until September, as you know, back in the United Kingdom, um, everybody's now talking about when or, or how, or certainly when, to trigger the Article 50 procedure from the UK side, which I understand correctly, it is the prerogative of the UK to decide when. But in, in, your, in your judgment, both legal and political, uh, how much time, how much leeway does the UK have before it has to definitively uh, trigger Article Yes, uh, I, I was uh, a little bit shocked by people who were screaming immediately in Brussels, well, you have to trigger immediately this Article 15. So it was not reasonable. Of course, we had political chaos as uh, could be expected uh, in London, and you have to have time in order to calm down and to have a new prime ministers and to look a little bit, uh, because apparently Mr. Gove and Mr. Johnson and others did not look very carefully on what to do after uh, Brexit won, so you have to do. I think it's reasonable to wait, but how long? You have to be careful for two reasons. One is uh, economic and psychological. What would do the, the pound in markets? What would do the influx of investment that you need very well, uh, very much in the UK because of your current account? What would be the, the, the financial markets also? You never know. And so watch this, don't wait too much for that. But also you have another thing which is uh, also psychological and political and it's the passions of the others. Right. Because you will certainly need a lot of goodwill 
uh, on the part of the, your partners. You have 27 partners in the EU. And if they are fed up to, to wait, uh, uh, that would be very bad for uh, this uh, goodwill. Okay, well, can you explain some of the procedure? Let's assume that sometime in the next few months, uh, people are saying maybe December or January next year, the UK finally triggers Article 50, maybe sooner. Then what happens? The, 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 the article wording is quite, is quite brief. It's not a very long article, as you know. And it talks about in the light of the guidelines provided by the European Council, the negotiations start, uh, start taking place but but first of all where where these guidelines come from and how long a process will it be before those guidelines become clear so uh, i think yes it's reasonable to think about december or Jan december 2016 or january or february 2017 that would be reasonable and uh, then the, the the board will be uh, in the in the court, <laughs> in both camps, because right. the UK will have to say a little bit what they are expecting of uh, this Article 50 negotiations, and uh, the, there will be guidelines of the European Council. Nobody knows what would be these political guidelines. It's not a, a, a mandate of negotiation. The mandate of negotiation will come later, but. Uh, we know approximately what would be in the Article 50 treaty. So uh, the interesting thing would be if the European Council says something about the future relationship and uh, what else could be said about what uh, they already said, that internal market is not divisible right. and that it's impossible to have uh, three freedoms without the fourth. Uh, I don't think they will go much further than that. Maybe on the first treaty on Article 50, yes, but one, one to expect in the future relations, I don't think they will be uh, very detailed about that. Okay. I want to come back to the four freedoms in a second since you mentioned them, Jean-Claude, but before we do, maybe go back a step, because in Brussels, where you and I are located now, there's a lot of talk about no question of any kind of informal discussion between the UK and its EU partners between now and whenever the, the formal triggering of Article 50 takes place. But do you see that in reality that that's sticking? In other words, that there'll be, there'll be inevitable some kind of informal discussion between political leaders in this, in this kind of interim period? What would you expect from the former legal council? Of course, we have to implement the rules, and uh, to implement the rules means that Article 50 is about the divorce, the withdrawal, it's not about the future. And so that means you negotiate during two years, maybe three years, if there's unanimity to go on for a third year, about the conditions of the divorce. So the, the situation of the UK citizens living in the 27 and the situation of the EU citizens living in the UK and all ongoing procedures and uh, uh, British citizens working in the institutions and so on and so forth. But you are not discussing about the future trade relations right. and so on and so forth because to do that you have to have a third state. So legally... What they say, and uh, including Cecilia Malmstrom said uh, very clearly, we have to wait uh, for the end of that, the Article 50, then it's ratified. Ratified means only by the EU on the EU side. So the Parliament, which has a right of veto, the Council by qualified majority, and on the UK side, probably by the vote by the Parliament. And then you are a third state. But then comes a very, very dangerous legal gap for the UK because in 
trade relations, you are in the WTO camp. You have not any relations with the EU, and that can be for years and years before we signed an agreement. So I do think on a personal capacity, and uh, as uh, we will not change the situation of uh, UK being uh, very close to uh, the continent and having a lot of relationship, that maybe if there's goodwill on both sides, we could have not negotiations, of course, but uh, saying to some officials that they could have private conversations and try to explore a little bit the future in order, you know, in the future to reduce the, this gap right. as much as possible. But you're talking about informal discussion maybe once Article 50 has been triggered, are you? But I'm also talking about informal discussion starting even now, before Article 50 no, is that triggered. that I think is totally excluded. Okay because the member states have clearly seen that uh, there's a danger for them <laughs> to go in these discussions while uh, uh, Article 50 is not even triggered. So they have said it's out, and I think they will stick to that. Okay. It's out. But your point about uh, this legal gap being very dangerous, I mean, if I may quote back to you, there's some wording of Article 50 in paragraph 2. Of course, the negotiations focuses on the terms for the withdrawal uh, of the UK from the U European Union, but it does also say, halfway through paragraph 2 of Article 50, taking account of the framework for its future relationship with the Union. That tends to suggest, surely, that there will be some discussion, not just of the withdrawal treaty uh, terms, but also about our future, the UK's future relationship with the EU. Well, it's a sentence which is very vague, you know, you, you have to take into account the climate, you have to take into account what happens in the US, you have to take into account a number of things. So what does it mean, take into account? Okay. I don't know exactly. Okay, we'll come back maybe on a future podcast of that, Jean-Claude. You mentioned just now that the four freedoms, and uh, a lot of people, very sincerely, the people who are, who are maybe, shall I say, take a rather purist view, are adamant that the four freedoms are inviolable. They are inseparable, and there's no question of negotiating free movement of, of people, because that would also have an impact on, on free movement of capital, goods, and services. But if you wanted to be uh, a bit pedantic, you could make the, the point that um, we don't have free movement. Of, of services in many ways the, the, in, in the European Union or even of capital. So why this insistence that, uh, that free movement of, of people, of, uh, of persons, is so non-negotiable? Well, of course, the, because it's on, for services and capitals, it's obviously a thing which is uh, uh, on the way to, 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 to be made. And we have not full access to services. Obviously, at the time, we did not have access full access to goods as well. But when it's realized, it's realized. And for persons, it's even more important psychologically and politically that uh, people can move uh, uh, to look for, to work, to have a job in other countries. It's very, very important. Okay. You also mentioned just now on passant that um, uh, one of the st stages, uh, hurdles to get through is uh, uh, approval by the European Parliament of the Withdrawal Treaty. Uh, can you explain to me how that process will work? Well, that means that when the Withdrawal Treaty will be uh, agreed by the negotiators, which will be on the side of the EU, the, the Commission, according to Article 218, uh, they will sign it uh, and the UK negotiator will sign it and then they will put that to their authorities and then Authorities in the EU is both uh, council acting by a qualified majority, it's written in Article 50, and we need to have the consent of the European Parliament. 
and as there's nothing uh, written on that, it's a normal uh, way that means uh, a simple majority of member present in the room in the parliament. So not the total membership of the no, European no, Parliament. No, okay. Exactly. Well, let's let's try and come to a I wouldn't say a conclusion, but maybe to an end of this fascinating podcast by trying to press you a bit on some of the legality of a future relationship. If whether it takes place or starts a discussion during the Article 50 withdrawal treaty procedure or thereafter, as soon as thereafter, as, as possible, as you said, to to minimise this danger of a of a legal gap, um, would the, the uh, new membership of the, the European Economic Area, for example, be negotiated under a, a different uh, 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 article of the Treaty of Lisbon and therefore requiring unanimity in the Council and ratification by parliaments or not? Absolutely. No, I think the, the, the next agreement, and especially if you do everything in this agreement, not only trade relations, but also participation to some policies, actions, programs and agencies of the EU, will necessarily be an association agreement with uh, not only unanimity in the Council, but probably a mixed agreement with powers of uh, the states as well. Maybe explain to our listeners, Jean-Paul, yeah. what a mixed agreement is. A mixed agreement is when you have not only powers conferred to the EU on the EU by the treaties, uh, by not by the treaties, by the member states in the treaties, to be yeah. exact, uh, but also powers which are still belonging to the member states, and there are a number of them, including on uh, defence, on the foreign policy, on... Uh, on police, on justice and uh, other things. So I think this future agreement uh, will be a kind of a mixed agreement where you need not only the approval of the European Parliament and of the Council acting unanimously, but also ratification in the 27 member states of the EU, which means sometimes uh, Parliament, obviously almost the time is Parliament's, but you cannot expect that uh, uh, it's long because, for mm -hmm. example, in Belgium, it's seven parliaments, one federal, three regional, three community. But also in some countries, they might decide to have a referendum. Right. Okay. So it's long ratification. Well, let, if I can try and then sum up, I, I don't normally try and sum up uh, these podcasts, but this one is just so so detailed and so substantive. I think I, I'll, I'll make an attempt, and if I got it wrong, Jean Claude, you, I'm sure you will correct me. So, as as far as you're concerned, we I think we agree that the on the UK side, Article 50 will not be triggered until the end of this year, beginning next year. In your view, there's little or if any scope for informal discussion with between leaders and, and civil servants before that formal triggering. The process itself will take at least two years, maybe only two years, but obviously you know better than I do. It could be extended by unanimity if, if all member states agree, if the 27 agree as well as UK. Uh, there may be some discussion during that Article 50 procedure of a future trading relationship, uh, but, in, in the, but the Parliament will also get to vote by a simple majority on the terms of the withdrawal treaty. And, and any future relationship, a membership of the European Economic Area, would be a mixed treaty, as you say, which therefore would also involve ratification by a whole number of, of national parliaments, some of which might even go, go through the referendum route. Is that a, an accurate summing up of what we've been discussing? Exactly, Paul. Jean-Claude thank you very much for your time. Thank you.